Little Debbie chocolate frosted donuts are garbage. Oh my goodness. I'm a huge Little Debbie fan. I've talked about Little Debbie stuff on here before. Mostly the double-decker oatmeal cream pie, but nonetheless. I didn't talk about it, but one day I had their ones that are like covered in the same little donuts, these little tiny donuts that come in like a sleeve, and they're covered in like coconut or something. They're actually pretty good. Oh, the chocolate ones are not good. Don't do it. And quite frankly, if I was... Uh, a decision maker, Little Debbie, I would get my name off of that product. Quick. Man, I think it comes in a five pack. I had one. Couldn't go any further. Like all the things you can do wrong with a donut. Super dried out. The chocolate on the outside was like melted and mushy even though it wasn't hot. Terrible. If you were a milk salesman, you would be in favor of this particular product because although I'm not a big milk drinker, I immediately wanted to drink a gallon of milk after eating one tiny donut. So I was going to talk about uh, the situation at the border today, but uh, Kimberly Ross, who's a, a, a writer with the Red State um, expressed some interest in coming on and talking about that very issue, but today was not a good day for her, so we're going to put it off. I don't think it's going anywhere, and the timeliness of it's not really all that important, because what I want to talk about, and I think what Kimberly wants to talk about, is um, sort of the larger moral question of what's to be done in these types of situations, and how to properly orientate yourself. Orient, orientate? saying that wrong, but I don't know how to say it right. Yourself, when you're faced with these types of decisions, or as a country, the direction we should go. So that conversation's not really topical or timely. It's really more of a general, uh, big picture kind of conversation. So we can do it later. I don't think this, this issue is going to come to an end in the next 24 hours, but I'm not sure when Kimberly's available. So we'll let it go. I'll let it go probably for, uh, till the end of the week. And then, uh, and then if she's still not available, I'll probably just go ahead without her. But she and I don't agree, so it could be interesting to, to hear that discussion and kind of hear two sides of a discussion, both from a conservative perspective. So that'll be fun if that happens. So there's a, the last school in Virginia named after a Confederate officer or politician is J.E.B. Stewart or Jeb Stewart Elementary School in Richmond, Virginia. And the school board, board voted uh, either yesterday or today to rename the school after Barack Obama. So it now will be known as Barack Obama Elementary School. I don't know if that's a record for um, time out of office before you start having schools named after you. I think Kennedy got some schools right away, but uh, he did get killed, so that makes a lot more sense. Um, Jeb Stewart is not really a controversial figure. Uh, he did not own slaves. He was a military man. 
He went to West Point University, um, was a cavalry captain in the United States Army, and he was from Virginia. And the Civil War broke out, like many people of the day. Uh, his allegiance was to his state over the country. That was incredibly common. Prior to the Civil War, when you saw the name of our country written out, it said the United States in lowercase of America, capital, meaning it was a bunch of states that were united. And after the Civil War, it was written all caps, <clears throat> the United States of America, all caps, because it was one country, no more states. Essentially, that's you know one of the real accomplishments of uh, Abraham Lincoln's presidency, if you're in favor of less federalism, which I'm not. But... Um, yeah, if you're a fan of states' rights and, uh, you know, the spirit of the Constitution and liberty, Lincoln's not really your guy. And everyone gets dragged into this idea that you have to like Lincoln because he freed slaves, but that's not really what happened. But that's another podcast for another day. Jeb Stewart was part of the United States Cavalry. He assisted in the, re in the capturing of John Brown at Harper's Ferry when John Brown came down to the South to uh, steal guns from a federal armory and issue them to slaves to have an armed rebellion. That's as close as he got to support slavery, I think, in his lifetime. Aside from the fact he fought the Confederacy, which people, I think, um, mischaracterize as a um, you know, country existed only in the name of owning other people. I don't think that's even remotely accurate, but, so yeah, Jeb Stewart was a hero on both sides, very well respected um, for his battlefield prowess, he was killed in battle in 1864, and um, yeah, like I said, he didn't own slaves, he wasn't a slave guy, he just was a cavalry officer, and his state went to war, and he joined them, really a very uncontroversial guy. Um, he was he, in public life for 10 years. He graduated West Point in 1854. And he died in 1864. That's that. Um, but they're going to rename it Barack Obama Elementary School. I saw a meme today that suggested that Barack Obama and Michelle Obama's children were actually someone else's children and that they stole them. I hadn't, heard, I hadn't heard that one before. So I was not an Obama fan. Um, as a president, or honestly really as a person, all that much. But a lot of the conspiracy theories that surrounded Obama were just ridiculous. And I thought they were ridiculous at the time, and I thought they distracted from real issues that were really going on that mattered. You know, and I think a lot of it was much simpler than people wanted to recognize. You know, he was accused of being not an American. And that, in part, is true regardless of where he was born because he was raised in Indonesia until he was 18 years old. And then after that, spent a lot of time on university campuses and then uh, pretty much rocketed up through uh, sort of uh, progressive 
grassroots groups to uh, the Illinois Senate, then the United States Senate, then the presidency. So when you listen to him or talk to him or, or watch him and you think, like, that guy's not an American, it kind of is true, even if he was born here, because he, he didn't know America. The regular America that people knew. So he said some stupid things, you know, talking about people clinging to their God and their guns. Well, that kind of talk plays big on university campuses and big liberal cities. And I don't think he understood that that wasn't going to work um, here in the country. But yeah, I don't know. Some of the conspiracy stuff was kind of funny. Like, Obama actually did order the murder of an American citizen who was a minor child. So there was an American Islamic cleric who went to, I believe, Yemen uh, to lead some kind of, not Taliban, uh, Al-Qaeda kind of thing. And he took his son with him. And they decided, Obama decided to order a drone strike to kill the son. who had never been charged with a crime, accused of a crime, convicted of a crime, was a 100% American citizen born, I believe, in Arizona, and, uh, and he ordered his death. The left should be 100% opposed to exactly that type of thing. If Bush had done it, the left would have gone nuts. But they let it go, they let it slide, you know? And I think that that, to me is one of the single worst acts by a president in our country's history. And we've had some horrible presidents that did horrible things. But that really takes the cake. You know, the idea that the president of the United States holds the lives of the citizens of the United States in the palm of his hand and can terminate them at will is a uniquely Obama notion. No president prior to Obama even hinted around that they had the authority to end the life of American citizens without due process. That was never, never been suggested before. And he didn't just suggest it. He assumed he had that authority and acted on it with deadly effect. So he killed a child, an American child who was not on a battlefield, was not accused of being part of a terrorist group, was not indicted for being part of a terrorist group, nothing. So when you see a lot of these extrajudicial battlefield-type killings uh, from the Bush years on, you know, some of that's really kind of questionable. But this one, it wasn't even questionable. It was just blatantly horrible. And uh, you start racking up the body counts from funerals and weddings in Afghanistan and Pakistan and Iraq. It's alarming. And to think that somehow Jeb Stewart is... uh, unpalatable as a choice to name a school after I I do to a degree understand I think that the the direction the country is going in is a decidedly anti-confederate direction and not that I agree with it but I okay fine but uh, Obama really the guy who killed a 16 year old American with a drone on purpose man I don't know it seems crazy to me that people aren't upset by. I've seen very, very few people even ever bring it up. 
Like it's no big deal, just something that we do. And I can't help but wonder if the reason nobody criticizes it is because it's an authority that both sides want. The Republicans don't want to criticize it too badly in case they want to do it later. And I think that's... I forgot to be, turn the volume down. But I think that's horrible. And I think that uh, it's something that we need to talk about and remember. And I'm not necessarily one to call for tribunals and war crimes and this, that, and the other thing. But I think it's certainly something that needs to be in the public consciousness that it happened. That a president assumed the authority of the life of his citizens and to be able to end them at will. And I think that that's, uh, that's a terrible tragedy. You know, and that to me is just the worst of the worst. We're not even getting into the uh, the whole, if you like your plan, you can keep your plan, Obamacare nonsense, or the I've got a pen and a phone crap. <clears throat> You're dealing with a guy who became president of the United States and was convinced of his own ability to convince other people that his thinking was correct or his way was right. He had been reinforced to believe that he was charming and convincing and, and that um, he could persuade America. And in reality, he couldn't. And when he realized he couldn't, he became very frustrated, in my opinion. And I think that's when you saw some of those petty kind of things, like when Congress had, had a shutdown, he uh, went out of his way to shut down and close off veterans' monuments, where veterans from World War II and the Korean War and Vietnam had planned trips that were very expensive well in advance uh, to come to those monuments. And he was so petty that he... That he gated them off so they couldn't get to an outdoor monument um, and the optics of that looked pretty bad and I think that's where that came from so rather than try to convince Congress or compromise with Congress or come up with something after the Obamacare debacle on the country voted in a Republican Congress and Republican Senate he, um, he took to trying to essentially legislate through executive fiat and those aren't laws. When you make changes as President of the United States through executive order, when an executive order is, you're not a king, you're not making dictates from on high. An executive order is an instruction to a branch of the executive, to a uh, subset of the executive branch of government on how to enforce a law, how to react to a law, how to any number of things, interpret a, interpret a law. So essentially, most of the things that he did that his supporters were fans of, and I don't think they were really high on their little hit parade of things they wanted, but you know they were just cheerleading anything that he did. And, and I think that when you watch Trump undo it all, and they're appalled, those are all temporary things. One president to the next can change those instructions just as easily as he changed it the first time. And... Uh, in the end, you know, whether you agree with Obama's politics or you don't agree with his politics, he was a highly ineffective president. He was not able to do any of the things he set out to do. Um, the health care law, obviously, was a disaster. You know, the, the few anecdotal instances of, of people with pre-existing conditions who now have insurance. All the gains of Obamacare, if there's any statistical gain in, in the number of insured people, all of it is in Medicaid. They expanded the uh, eligibility for Medicaid and got people on Medicaid. 
the same number of people who paid for insurance on Obamacare also lost insurance when Obamacare came into to existence. So, I know for myself, we want to do anecdotal stories. The first time in my life I was uninsured was after the passage of Obamacare. So the plan, the silver plan through my employer was so expensive I couldn't afford it. And uh, my wife and I chose to not have insurance. It would have cost us between deductible and the premiums would have cost us $18,000 to insure the family. So we elected to, uh, to go through another route and insure the children only. And my wife and I went without insurance for, I think, almost three years before we figured out another way. So, yeah, so there's a lot of me's out there who, uh, who couldn't afford the, uh, the new plan. If you, if you like your plan, you can keep your plan. No, no, you can't. As it turns out, you can't. <clears throat> so, anyway, highly ineffective, very petty. Um, the changes that were made that were supposed these huge victories are, are hollow at best. Um, and then there's some stuff that's really dark that nobody seems to want to talk about. I mean, clearly foreign policy was a disaster. Two of the worst secretaries of state in the history of America, back-to-back. That didn't help him any. But um, then there's like the Keystone Pipeline. You know, he came out against the pipeline. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot of research to find out that Warren Buffett owns the trains that are currently transporting the Alberta tar sands oil to the Gulf Coast to be refined. And that that contract to transport that oil is worth billions of dollars to Buffett. And obviously you can ramp up the environmentalists against anything. They could have ramped up the environmentalists against trains moving oil through America in the same way. So they chose to go after that pipeline because the pipeline would have been the end of the train transport. In fact, the pipeline would have been much safer, much less expensive, much cleaner way to transport the oil. And I believe Trump went ahead and greenlit it. Um, but yeah, so it's one of those things where you look at it and go, okay, well... The amount of oil spilled on by train accidents is much higher than the amount of oil spilled by pipeline accidents. So if you're going to transport the oil, it's much, much better to do it by pipeline than train. It doesn't take a genius to figure that out. Unfortunately, most environmentalists aren't interested in that. All right, and they're just opposed to pipelines. So you get these weird things. So there's a lot of that going on with Obama where it's it's just, I don't know. I think it's too soon, probably. We're all too emotionally invested to really make a judgment of his presidency. But um, I think essentially so little was accomplished and changed between from when Bush left office to when Trump took over. It's hard to argue it was a success in any shape, form, or fashion. Unless his goal was to continue every significant Bush-era policy imaginable, which is certainly not what he ran on. But that's what we did. I know at one point I think he said he was going to end the Iraq war and we sort of ended it, but what gets left out of that picture is that the Iraqi parliament uh, signed a bill into law that any American soldier on Iraqi soil after a certain date was eligible to be arrested and tried for war crimes. So we ski-daddled. And, uh, yeah, so that, nah, it's all that. Funny enough, when ISIS came, all of a sudden Iraq wanted us back. <laughs> Isn't it funny how that works? But anyway, 
So that's the whole thing with Obama. I think that, uh, I think it's just that, uh, not the guy you want to name a school after. When you're talking about naming a school, I think that you should put some thought into it. Uh, you should name it after somebody who, who ma- I'm not telling you got to name your school after Jeb Stewart or Robert E. Lee or Jefferson Davis. And I'm not saying you shouldn't either. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with those names. Um, but if you're going to name your school after a person, let's put some thought into it. And let's get somebody who really is a meaningful person um, who's done a lot of good for school children and schools. and I think, right? Or somebody who really could be admired. And I don't know. In today's era of 24-hour day media coverage and bloggers and Internet and social media, I don't know that we're going to get any more admirable people. We just know too much about these people really to admire them because at the end of the day, we're all human, right? So we want to admire a hero, somebody who's uh, who's above us. And I think that the way, the way the media works, nobody's ever going to get to be above us again. Which is good in a sense. I don't know that you want to have people wandering the earth alive, being treated as heroes. But when it comes to school names, it makes it tough. If you want to name your school after people going to have to go back in history and find some people. What about John Brown? There's a guy who, by today's standards, is a hero. Devoutly religious man, 100% abolitionist, was willing to die to free the slaves. No? He's no good? I'm going to go with Obama? Killed an American? Alright. Hey, that's what you want to do. But no, I don't think so. I think you need to, to put some thought into it. Come up with somebody good. So I used to live near Tampa, Florida, and worked in some of the worst neighborhoods in Tampa. Um, you know, I, I don't know if people in colder climates understand the depths of poverty in warmer climates. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's an eye-opening thing to see, you know, when you don't have to pay for heat or clothes, you know, I don't know. It's a different, uh, it's a different thing. And I was there through the housing bust, which took its toll on a lot of people. And at the height of that recession, there were a lot of panhandlers in Tampa the um, the city of St. Petersburg, which is next door, but there's water in between, outlawed panhandling fairly early on. And very predictably, what happened was those people who wanted to make a living panhandling walked across the bridges into Tampa because, well, they weren't allowed to pursue their chosen profession in St. Petersburg. And these guys were characters, guys and gals both were characters. And I worked on an intersection, a very busy intersection, the corner of Florida Avenue and Bush Boulevard in a pretty rough part of Tampa. And um, both roads had a median. So at the intersection, you had four corners, obviously, but then you also had four medians. And so pretty much from about nine o'clock in the morning until dark, you'd have eight people panhandling on this one corner. And there were some characters out there 
there was a dwarf um, or a little person. I don't, I don't, I don't know the, the proper terminology, but uh, he was a funny guy. He had a sign that said, why lie? I just want to buy beer. And I was talking to him one day. He said he did very well. He actually worked before and he made more money doing that than he did working. And there was a lady who, I don't know how this works, but there's a lady with her food stamp card was able to buy bottled water. I guess along with the card came a certain amount of free bottled water and she would get the free bottled water at the Walmart and she had a cooler and she would fill it with ice and then she would drag this cooler, it had wheels on it, and she would wheel this cooler out into the median and sell ice cold water for a dollar, which it cost her nothing. Well, I mean the cooler and the ice. But she'd put, I don't know, 30 or 40 bottles of water in there and she'd go sell it. And then when she's done, she then she would go buy water. So maybe a case of water was $10 or something like that. So, and she would do it all day. I'm not criticizing that, by the way. I think that's amazingly entrepreneurial. And, and she was making, a, you know, 100 bucks plus a day, standing out in the sun all day, selling water. But then there was a guy. And... He would, I don't know how to describe what he did. You can go on YouTube and find it. And I suggest you do it. It's f f really funny. But uh, he would come dancing down the street, I guess is the best way to put it. And he wore headphones, normally was shirtless. Well, for a long time he was shirtless. Then they passed a law that if you panhandled, you had to wear a reflector vest. And so he would occasionally panhandle, so he would get a, he had a reflector vest. And he wore these cotton shorts, he's very slender, and he had a big long white beard, and he had long white kind of grayish hair, and he was mostly bald on top. Clearly in shape, despite the fact that he looked to be in his 60s. You could tell he uh, had some muscle tone, had abs, and um, I didn't really know what his deal was. And he would come dancing down the street, one way on the on the west side of the street sidewalk I'm sorry the east side of the street sidewalk and he had headphones on and he carried a cane a uh, walking stick and he would stop and use the walking stick like a guitar like play air guitar and his dancing was part kind of skipping down the street part uh, shadow boxing and part sort of the strange praise thing he would do where he would put his hands up over his head and like rock out and um, just a fascinating guy. And then a few hours later, he'd go right back up the other way, northbound on the west side. And he would, people would honk at him and he'd wave. And he was like a fixture of that part of town. And then later, I talked to him very briefly because he didn't, he didn't stop dancing. You couldn't have a conversation with him because he wouldn't stop to talk to you. But I did find out his name was Michael McKinney. And he was very polite and very nice. And um, one day there was a sheriff's deputy in where I, in my work, and he went by, and I said, "Well, there's Michael McKinney." And the deputy was surprised. He goes, "Oh, you know Mike?" And I was like, "Oh no, I don't really know him. I just talked to him one day for a second, and uh, he told me his name." And he's like, "Yeah, we see Mike a lot." And I said, oh, what do you mean? And he goes, well, I used to be a corrections officer in the in the county jail. And Mike comes in all the time. And I was like, really? For what? Because he's seen Mike. 
for all intents and purposes, just a, a weird, nice guy. And apparently what Mike liked to do was get drunk and do coke and then drive cars. And so years before, he'd had his license taken away and so he didn't have a license. So what would happen was he would get drunk and high and then he would steal a car because he didn't have a car anymore. So he'd steal a car and then he'd go drive around and then eventually they'd pull him over and he, uh, he would get arrested for stealing the car, obviously, and also for driving without a license, or driving with a suspended license or whatever. And, um, and then also the DUI and everything else. So he'd end up in jail for a few months. And I said, man, what's it like for him in jail? And he said, oh, he does that. They go out in the yard and he, he does that dance walk thing, the perimeter of the yard. And I was like, oh, it's crazy. And then the, the deputy says, you know, he used to be a boxer. And I said, oh, no, but that makes sense because you watch him do the shadow boxing. It's clear he knows what he's doing. You know, the footwork is good. His technique is on point. So I was like, oh, it makes sense. And he's like, yeah, when we get mouthy kids in the jail, young kids in the jail who are causing problems, we're not allowed to do anything about it, but... So what we do is we get them to attack Mike. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, we'll get some young kid, 19, 20 years old, and he thinks he runs the place. And then we'll uh, we'll get them all riled up and uh, about Mike dancing around the thing and be like, you're going to let that white boy dance around like that? And you're going to let him do that out in your yard? And he's disrespecting you? And in front of the other inmates, and then this one guy who they wanted to, I guess teach a lesson would go over and pick a fight with McKinney and he said in the years he was in there and he saw McKinney come and go he never saw McKinney ever get even hit he won every fight never got hit <laughs> and he wasn't nearly as old as he looked I guess he was probably in his late 40s at the time early 50s he looked like he was in his late 60s and uh, and he was in good shape like I said and he knew what he was doing so these young these young guys from the streets would try to go pick a fight with him and get beat up. So I was telling this story to a friend of mine the other day, and you can go on YouTube. You gotta look a couple different ways, but you can look Michael McKinney. I think you can find him that way on YouTube, and you can uh, uh, probably just just a description of him, like you know, crazy bearded dancing guy or something, Tampa and uh, he'll pop up, or Florida Avenue. The Florida Avenue is the street he stayed on. And you can see video, just passers-by filmed him and put it up on YouTube so you can see him there. And I was telling the story, and it's hard to describe what he did and how kind of entertaining it was and, and in a weird way uplifting to watch, and it was just kind of, you could kind of set your clock by him. And uh, he's always a real upbeat guy, and, and uh, it's hard to explain what he did, so... I looked him up, and it turned out he passed away a couple years ago. So I was sorry to hear that, and I think that uh, people like Michael McKinney don't don't. I'm not advocating, obviously, for drunken driving or stealing cars or people doing coke. But people like Michael McKinney are part of a community, and he, you know he wasn't out hurting anybody. And I guess he could have drunk driving. I'm not like I said, I'm not advocating for that. But uh, it's a shame to hear he's gone, and, and uh, I think that he was kind of a rich part of that whole thing. And I don't know. 
It's weird. I didn't really know him, but it was kind of sad to hear he passed away. So when you get a minute, look him up. And, uh, and check him out. So... That's all for today. Listen, I hope you all have a fantastic day. I hope that your kid's elementary school doesn't get renamed after an ineffective president. Ineffective president. I hope Kimberly gets back to me, uh, you know, today or tomorrow about doing the podcast later in the week. And we can bring that one to you. I think that would be a fantastic conversation. Um, And if not, I think that maybe uh, we'll come back later in the week and hit up this immigration issue. Um, But listen... Have a fantastic day. Thank you for tuning into the podcast, and we will catch you tomorrow.